0: There are two words I hear used by observers of our culture to describe the times we're living through. One of them is acceleration. By that, they don't just mean that there's a lot happening in our world, though certainly there's a lot happening. We've been through a pandemic. There's a war between Ukraine and Russia. There's inflation, there's climate change, crime and violence, partisan politics, the overload of data information we live with, social media. And at the same time, there's innovation, advances in technology, discoveries in medicine. A lot has been happening and is happening. And yet most of what I just mentioned has happened all throughout history. In some related form, it's all happened before. What's different is acceleration. Change is taking place at a faster pace than ever before. Change, change touches every part of our lives. Tom Friedman of the New York Times says, people have an acute feeling that their world is accelerating away from them. Spinning out of control, everything's getting faster, life is lickety-split. It took radio 38 years to reach 50 million people. It took television 13 years to reach 50 million. It took Facebook nine months to reach 100 million. Since ABC went on the air in 1948, it's been on the air 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The total number of viewing hours of ABC over 75 years YouTube had in just the last six months. It's a different world in 2023, constantly changing, an acute feeling that our world is accelerating away from us. The second word used to describe the times is dread. People live with an apprehensiveness about where it's all headed. So much in life happens unannounced. It happens night or day. It happens suddenly or gradually. In normal times, we can handle life. We can more or less handle it. But now life seems anything but normal. It's changing so fast, changing so fast, and we we can't keep up with it. We just can't keep up with it. And so it's, we, uh, we just wonder where it's all headed. We wonder where it's all headed, this feeling of dread about how it's all going to turn out. Things pop up in our own lives that we can't control and remind us that we're not in charge. I don't know about you, but since the pandemic, time itself has had a warped quality to it, a strange feel to it. Time goes by so fast, and I realize every passing minute is a minute I'll never have again. Acceleration. Dread. So how should we as Christians live in light of the times that we're living through? How do we live, in our, live out our faith in a world that at times can be scary and unstable? And is God in control? Can God be trusted to be our help and our guide? I want to reflect on the sovereign presence of God in our lives. I want to remind us that God is Lord of all. We can trust the ever-present care of God, that God's always at work in our lives, and because of that, we're a people of hope. You and I have a future, and we can move into that future with confidence and joy. So what better scripture than Romans 8, verses 26 through 39? So let us hear the word of the Lord to us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes besides too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us, Will he not also give us everything else? Who will condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who will indeed intercede for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer, amen. The scripture we just read has always been a great encouragement to Christians. It's a scripture that one writer calls a ringing assurance to the believing heart, a ringing assurance to the believing heart. I want to suggest that Paul affirms something about the present, something about the past, something about the future. And because of these great truths, present, past, and future were a people of hope, eager to live each day to the glory of God. First, here's what Paul says about the present. If you've ever started to pray, he says, and you're so stressed out about life that as you start to pray, you don't even know how to express it in words, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, prays for you. The Holy Spirit does that right now in the present. When you're hurting and the only thing that comes up out of you are are the groanings of the heart, the Spirit takes over and brings them to God the Father. Does that right now, even as you're praying. And if that isn't good enough, it gets even better. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Every hour of every day, God's working on our behalf. Even when things are breaking down, even when things are falling apart, God's at work to bring ultimate good out of it. Nothing's beyond God's sovereign care. It doesn't mean God's working for our comfort. It doesn't mean God's working for our ease. But God is working for our supreme good. And as Christians, Paul says, we know that. We know that. The Greek word Paul uses, the word know, means to know something not just from intellectual inquiry, but to know something from the heart, from faith. To know something not by logic in the head, but knowing it by the inner work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. It's a very important word in the book of Romans. Even in the early chapters, as Paul sets out the great truths of the gospel, he uses this word know six times. In chapter two, he says we know that God is the judge of all things. Chapter three, we know God; all people are accountable to God. Chapter seven, we know that we're to live not by the flesh but by the spirit. And now in chapter eight, we know the whole creation is waiting for its final redemption. We know that when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. We know that. We know that, and now Paul uses the word again and gives us this crowning certainty of the Christian life. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Not a knowing that's just intellectual in the head, but the knowing of the heart the inner confidence of God's spirit. We know that in all things, God's at work for those who love him. Does it mean you won't have problems? Does it mean you won't ever suffer? Does it mean the things that happen to you are in themselves good? Does it mean that things automatically get fixed for you? Does it mean that when things go wrong, you can just blithely say, Oh well, whatever, everything will be okay. That's not what Paul's saying. This isn't a power of positive thinking kind of thing because actually it's better than that. We know that in all things, day in and day out, right now in the present, God is active, working in and through all things for our good From the time your feet hit the floor in the morning till your head hits the pillow at night, God's at work. We know that, we know that. Do you remember in the book of Genesis when Joseph was beat up by his brothers and left in a pit to die? Some traders from Egypt came along and they sold Joseph as a slave and there he was years later in Egypt. He'd become a friend of Pharaoh And there was famine in Canaan that forced his brothers to go down to Egypt seeking food. And who was there to help them but Joseph? In all things, God's at work for those who love him. In the early church, Stephen was stoned to death for bearing witness to Christ. And standing there, approving of his death, was Saul of Tarsus who one day was on his way to persecute more Christians but was confronted by Christ, and Saul, now called Paul, became the church's great missionary. When Stephen was being stoned, who could have imagined that? We know that all things work together for good. Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown in prison, but because of the way they handled themselves, singing praises to God at midnight, staying in their cell when they could have escaped. The jailer was so impressed that he and the whole, his whole family believed in Jesus. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. As one commentator describes it, from the fall of a raindrop to the fall of an empire, all is under the providential care of God. All is under the providential care of God. And because of that, we're a people of hope. It's a word Paul uses 12 times in the book of Romans. Hope, eager expectation. It's a person who goes out at the crack of dawn before the sun is up, scans the horizon, head thrust out, leaning forward, looks out and says, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. The living God is at work for me in this day, so I'm not intimidated by life, I'm not cynical, I'm not crotchety, because I know, I know right now that when I pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for me, and I know right now God is working all things for my good. Paul's words. About the present. Second, Paul says something about the past. You can tell by my last name that I have some Scottish blood in me. My grandfather, Gavin Murray, came to this country from a village outside Glasgow. Murray is a common name in Scotland and also in Ireland, though there are differences between the Scotch and the Irish. The Irish live by Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. If anything can go wrong, it will. Murphy's Law. The Scots live by McDonald's law, and that's that Murphy was an optimist. It makes for a good story, but it points to a deeper truth. Because of our sin and brokenness, there is a human propensity toward the negative. If anything can go wrong, it will. We love the sensational. We love hearing about the latest crisis in some celebrity's life. We love hearing about who is getting divorced from who, who said something nasty about somebody else. We are fascinated by the dark side of life. How different from all of that, then? How different from that is our Christian faith? Do you know who the true optimists are? It's Christians. It's us. We're the true optimists. And the reason for that is something that happened in the past. Here's what Paul says, says Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those he Whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, that's a lot of thick theology. A lot of great theology. We could spend an hour just letting those verses soak through us. What they mean is something like this. God is Lord of all your days, and what God started in your life, God will finish. In ETERNITY PAST, BEFORE YOU WERE EVEN BORN, GOD KNEW YOU AND DECIDED WHAT HE WANTED TO DO WITH YOUR LIFE IS FORM IN YOU THE CHARACTER OF JESUS. HE WANTS TO MAKE YOU INTO A LIKENESS OF HIS SON. AND SO HAVING DECIDED THAT'S HIS PURPOSE, GOD CALLED YOU INTO HIS GRACE, SAVED YOU BY HIS CROSS, AND NOW HE'S DETERMINED TO GLORIFY YOU BY COMPLETING GOD'S WORK IN YOUR LIFE. ISN'T THAT LIBERATING? ISN'T THAT LIBERATING? HAVING KNOWN YOU FROM ETERNITY PAST, GOD, WHO KNOWS EVERYTHING AHEAD OF TIME, DECIDED TO FORM IN YOU THE CHARACTER OF JESUS. GOD DOES WANT YOUR INVOLVEMENT. ALL THINGS WORK TOGETHER FOR GOOD FOR THOSE WHO LOVE GOD. FOR THOSE WHO LOVE GOD. GOD WANTS YOUR LOVING RESPONSE TO GOD'S LOVE. GOD WANTS YOUR WILLING ACCEPTANCE OF God's purpose for your life. God forms into the image of His Son those who want to be conformed into the image of the Son. God's not going to force it on you. We're not marionettes attached by string to heaven. We're invited to love the Lord our God, and out of that relationship we know, we know THAT IN ETERNITY PAST, GOD MADE A DECISION TO DEVELOP IN YOU THE CHARACTER OF JESUS. GOD foreknew YOU AND SENT THE Son TO LIVE FOR YOU AND DIE FOR YOU AND LIVE AGAIN FOR YOU, AND WHAT GOD STARTED IN YOUR LIFE, GOD WILL FINISH. GOD'S NOT GOING TO QUIT, AND THEREFORE, YOU'RE A PERSON OF HOPE, EAGER EXPECTATION, JUST WAITING FOR THE SUN TO COME UP AT THE CRACK OF DAWN, EAGER FOR ANOTHER DAY IN WHICH GOD CAN WORK out God's purpose in your life, which he planned way back in eternity past. Third, Paul says something about the future. None of us knows exactly what the future holds. Things will happen to all of us that at first don't seem to have God working in them at all. But we know, not in the head but in the heart, We know the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we find it hard to pray. We know that God's loving purpose is to work for our good and form the character of Jesus in us. What we don't know exactly is what's out there ahead of us. You could have the best of times this year or the worst of times. For some of us, the most joyful time of our lives hasn't happened yet, but it will. For some of us, the most joyless time of our lives hasn't happened yet, but, it's, but it will. It's a little frightening not knowing what's out there, but it's matched by this assurance, and now Paul closes off, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither things present nor things to come, no power in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. When I was a boy growing up in the Midwest, every Saturday night my parents would load me and my sisters into the car and off we'd go to town. Saturday night was the big night of the week. We'd buy groceries, do some shopping, then finish it off with hamburgers and french fries at the Maid right Cafe. We'd get to the Maid right about 9 o'clock, there was a TV strapped up on the wall, and we'd get there just about the time gun smoke was coming on. (laughs) So we'd eat hamburgers and french fries and watch Matt Dillon. Life's good when you're five or six years old and you get to go to town on Saturday night. One time, it wasn't so good. We were in Kaufman's department store. It was a big store, a little bit of everything in there. One of my favorite spots was the candy counter. Right in the middle of the store, I'd walk around looking at the candy behind the glass, and then way in the back of the store, my other favorite spot, the fish tanks, where you could see the goldfish and touch the little turtles that are about the size of a silver dollar. Somehow, one Saturday night, I got separated from my parents. I couldn't find them, and the more I couldn't find them, the more desperate I got. I went to the candy counter, they weren't there. I went to the fish tanks, they weren't there. I walked to the second floor, they weren't there. Up this aisle, down this aisle, they weren't there. Too scared to even cry. Went back to the candy counter, not there. To the aquariums, not there. In desperation, I went to the front of the store, and there on the other side of the revolving door, out on the sidewalk, my mom and sisters watching the door making sure I didn't get out while my father was inside looking for me. I thought you'd left me. Where were you? I thought you'd gone home without me. Oh, we wouldn't go home without you, but you gotta be more careful. I can still feel to this day what it was like to get separated from my family in Kaufman's department store. We all have a deep aversion to being separated from those we love. Built into us is a desire to be connected to that which gives life, to be close to those who love us. We don't like to be cut off, separated. We need people to miss us when we're not there. Here's the greatest good news about the future. I'm convinced that neither death nor life THINGS PRESENT NOR THINGS TO COME, NO POWER IN ALL CREATION WILL BE ABLE TO SEPARATE US FROM THE LOVE OF GOD IN CHRIST JESUS OUR LORD. YOUR BEST DREAMS MAY COME TRUE, YOUR WORST NIGHTMARES. EITHER CASE, NOTHING WILL SEPARATE YOU FROM THE LOVE OF GOD. YOUR STANDARD OF LIVING COULD SOAR OR COULD PLUMMET. EITHER WAY, NOTHING WILL SEPARATE YOU FROM THE LOVE OF GOD IN CHRIST JESUS OUR LORD. Your physical body may be a source of ecstasy or agony. Either way, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Paul's wonderful words about the future. We all think about it. We all wonder how life is going to turn out. We think about it, but we don't have to fret. We don't have to fret about it. Herman Melville, in his classic Moby Dick, tells about the fishing line that the whalers have on their boats, the rope that's laid out on the deck. It has to be made of just the right kind of hemp, strong enough to hold three tons, and yet not too stiff because it has to be coiled up in piles, these layers of densely coiled spirals of rope uh, laying on the deck. They look like a wedding cake piles of whale lines strung all around, perfectly coiled, because when the harpooners send it out in just a smoking minute, if there's a least tangle or twist in the rope, it can so rock the boat that the whalers are pitched one way or another, and the line will catch a man's arm or leg and pull them right out to sea. So it's amazing when the Whalers are working. It's amazing how they just stand among the coils. Stand there as the harpoon darts out, the rope just whizzes by, uncoils like lightning. And the whalers trust that it was laid perfectly. They stand and work right in the middle, trusting that the line in all its coiled intricacy will go out smoothly or they themselves get snapped out to sea. The good whalers stand there, motionless, profound calm, trusting the line won't tangle or twist. And you know what, says Melville, in reality, we're all like those whalers living among the coils. Life for all of us can take sudden, swift turns. The perils of life are always present. You're really no safer, he says, sitting in an easy chair than those whalers standing among the coils of rope. I don't know what's out there in the future for any of us. Not one of us knows what tomorrow holds. But we know, not in the head but in the heart, we know right now in the present God hears our prayers works for our good, and we're confident that way back in eternity past, God knew us and decided His plan for our lives was to conform us into the character of Jesus. And in the future, God will have the last word, and the last word is that in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors, and nothing will separate us from the love of God, and because of that, we can live with profound calm, expectant hope as we get up in the morning at the crack of dawn, head thrust out, leaning forward, eager for a new day, eager for a new day. Let us pray. Lord, there's a lot happening in the world and a lot happening in our individual lives. So thank you for your thoughtfulness in knowing us so personally and intimately. Thank you for your kindness in giving us a Savior. And thank you for the Holy Spirit, who even now, as we pray, is sharing our deepest longings with you. Help us, Lord, not to fret about the future, but put our full trust in you, for you are a great God of love and grace a love and grace that sustains us and from which we can never, ever be separated. We pray with with thankful hearts in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.